Um, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, where you grew up, um, what that looked like, you know, what your family did? Thanks. Uh, yeah, good morning, and sorry to interrupt your, um, your cereal. Um, I'm uh, originally a Canberra local, but I grew up on a, a property uh, south of Canberra uh, called Kalula Farm. I don't know if you've um, ever been there. And uh, in the Nace Valley, um, and uh, had the opportunity to go to Trinity Christian School, Canberra Grammar, and then the ANU, so um, uh, before leaving Canberra after that. So. And in your family growing up, what was the spiritual or religious kind of situation? Christian, yeah. not Christian, what, what was going on there? You know, Andrew, I, had, I really had the joy of uh, knowing the reality of God since I was a small child, because my, my parents, uh, they lived and breathed uh, their faith and uh, lived it out in a very real way. So I've always known, intellectually anyway, of the reality of God and the death and resurrection of Christ. Yeah. Um, it's been said that uh, standing in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> so going to church, sitting in a church building doesn't make you a Christian. Um, how is it that you've actually come to now call yourself a follower of Jesus? Yeah, well, um, pretty, it's pretty key to what we're going to be hearing about a little bit later on from, from God's Word. But I was convinced, actually, that I, when I'd stuffed up, I had to earn God's uh, acceptance, favour, you know, that, that if I worked hard, then He would be pleased with me. But it wasn't until I was at uni, um, I heard some, some very good Bible teaching and some teaching from Ephesians 2 that we're going to look at today that told me, actually, uh, that uh, it's, by, it's, it's by grace, not my works, it's by grace that uh, I'm saved. And it just blew my mind, actually, that... Um, while I was a sinner, Christ died for me, and I, I, I just, it just rocked my world, really, as a later in the teenage years, early university student, that actually God loved me um, unconditionally, undeservingly, um, even when I was a sinner. So that was, that, that, that was phenomenal then. So. Awesome. Mm. Praise God, that's great news, and you said we'll hear a bit, bit more about that in we just will. a moment. Yep. Could, just uh, another question, maybe a little bit more about you. Sure. Um, Hobbies, things you like to do in your spare time, if you have any spare time, what do you get up to? Yeah, well, um, uh, as I grew up on, um, on a property, um, we had a little, um, well, the, the Nace River ran through our, our property and the Gudgeonby River, did, did a whole bunch of fishing growing up, enjoyed that, loved the outdoors. Now, I think, I think that was a little bit of a, a, um, a seed for later on in life. I keep aquariums now, so I really enjoy uh, fish breeding, and so it's a bit of a bit of a geeky um, fishing hobby. in a tank. Do you like yeah, fish in the like tank? To... <laughs> I don't have to worry. I do have one Murray cod, and a, yeah, but um, not many native fish. Um, I enjoy basketball. I'm hobbling a little bit from a um, from an Achilles injury, so I play it, I coach it, watch it, enjoy that. Um, yeah, those those are the those are the main things. Great. At the moment, you're working as a prison chaplain, but before um, being involved in prison chaplaincy, what did you do? Yeah, so went off to went off to Bible College at Moore Theological College. Um, served in the Anglican Church in the in the Sydney diocese for a little while. I was I actually studied Asian studies at the ANU, so I was hungry to um, to go and serve in somewhere in Asia if possible. And God led us to work in in Hong Kong for six years in a um, St Andrew's Kowloon there. Um, so again, as a, as a pastor of a church, God called us back to Canberra, and so we'd been serving here in a, uh, as a pastor of a church here in Canberra for a few years before stepping into um, prison chaplaincy. Great. Now, just tracking in a little bit in the direction of what you're going to talk to us about sure. this morning, um, if you look back in your life, uh, what would you say, what, what are you most ashamed of back there? <laughs> what, you know, your biggest mistake, your most significant sin, if I can put it that way. 
What, what would you, you know, say? I asked Andrew to ask me this question. Um, you know what? I, I would have really, if, if genuinely, if I was going to answer that, a real problem, a real, real challenge in telling you guys publicly what I'm most ashamed of, right? And what's the thing that um, I'm uh, my most significant sin in my life? And yet, when we look at inmates, um, what defines them is their biggest mistakes, their their crimes, and. Um, the first question they're asked, you might have asked guys when they came in here and, and met them, what do you do or where are you from? Their first question is, you know, what are you in for? And so um, I'm not going to answer that question, but I'm going to talk a little bit more about how um, our biggest mistakes can often define us um, and that we can get a second chance. Great. So um, <laughs> your, as you look back, your biggest second chance? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have thought about second chances in your life, but I reckon the biggest one for me was um, my lovely wife. Um, I asked her to marry me on a fishing trip, and that was a that was a you guys. If anyone thinking of proposing to their wives, don't do that because her, her response it was actually on Googong Dam. I thought it was going to be a great you know sneak attack surprise. I had a picnic planned, but no, she said no. You can't ask me to marry me. Uh, I must ask you to marry me. Ask, you can't ask me to marry you on a fishing trip. I'm in my fishing outfit. I'm in fishing gear. <laughs> Thankfully, she said yes later. So that was, and undeservingly, I don't think I deserve it. 25 years we're married this year, and I'm just very, very thankful. Praise God. Yes. So I'm just going to leave you to giving us a bit of an intro to sure. the, the jail. Sure. Um, what your kind of, you know, ministry looks like there, yep. and maybe a bit of a description of some of the guys you're dealing with. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah. Feel free to keep eating. Um, I want to give you a little bit of an overview because I, I, I want you to feel like you, you understand what it is that happens in a jail. Some of you have been involved in Kairos ministry. Some of you might have been able to step behind the wall. But it's, uh, it's a little bit tricky to grasp this unless you've, you've done it yourself. But I'll, I'll try and give you a bit of a snapshot. Um, and then I, I want to talk about the inmates um, very uh, specifically. I've only been doing it for a little while, so a um, little after Easter this year was my uh, stepping into prison chaplaincy. Um, Goulburn Jail, um, it's, it's known as one of the most notorious jails uh, in Australia. It's one of the oldest jails, um, and this looks quite pretty. Our chaplaincy office there on the top, um, you know, it's an old stone building, but it gives a bit of an illusion as to what uh, the prison is really like. Let's see if I can go through this. Do I need to switch this on? Right, maybe, here we go, there we go. All right, it has, it has three main areas. It has uh, a, a maximum security area, that's right there in the middle. Um, it has a, a minimum security, security area, which there aren't many prisoners in minimum security at Goulburn, and it has a super maximum security area as well. I'll tell, talk to you about that in a moment. It's a pretty harsh environment um, where it's known as the most murderous prison in Australia, there's been more um, murders and um, <laughs> violent attacks in Goulburn than anywhere else. Um, this is a typical prison yard. They shower in the prison yards. They have to be uh, there. This is maximum security. Only allowed out of their cells for a couple of hours a day, and that's where uh, they have. They actually have to be out there. Rain, hail, snow, sleet freezing cold golden winds actually just roar through the prison and that's where they uh, congregate in the prison yards. These are the cells. They look, they look pretty clean here. This is, um, I could only get photos of the internet because I'm not allowed to take photos uh, in, the, in the prison myself. And um, it gives you, it, does, it is a harsh environment, but 
it's not often this clean. <laughs> uh, this is a typical cell in maximum security, and they don't have many possessions. The prison yards, if you, if you look right down in the corner, um, the right-hand corner, um, they, they, they're like a V, and that's where the prison gate, the prison bars are, and this is the other side. This is where I do most of my ministry. Exactly like this, I'll have a group of guys that come up to uh, the bars, and I'll spend most of my time talking with them through the bars. It's tricky to make eye contact sometimes because you, you're juggling through the bars, and they will, they'll sometimes share quite deep, meaningful, and significant things in their lives, but there'll be other people around. Um, maximum security uh, is somewhere that I will head into as well. It has, sorry, super maximum, super max. Um, it's, the only, it's the only place like this in Australia, and um, it's where the, the right-wing extremists and terrorists are housed, and there's a, currently there's about 120 of them that are there. Those are the ones that are deemed an extreme threat to society. Um, their cells, it's pretty new as compared to the old jail, the maximum security jail. These are their cells. They're very, very small, actually. Um, you can see two there. Um, the, again, the images won't give you a really good idea of how small these cells are. They spend 23 hours a day in this small space. Um, this is a photo for publicity as well. They've put all the goodies out there on the bed as to what they're, they're given. But there's really very sparse as to what they're allowed. And you can see, um, you see right at the back of the, um, the actual cell there is the courtyard that they're allowed out into for one hour a day. It's very small so to get some sunshine. Um, when I'm doing a chaplaincy work with these guys in Supermax, uh, it's in a cage like this, and it's, it's really dehumanising to see men in a cage, um, when in, in an empty room, and uh, I talk to them um, behind, these, um, behind this mesh. And I talk to them really much, when I, when I very much like I would talk to anyone else, but it's just very stark as to how uh, they're in this um, very dehumanising environment. Now, I should say that many of these guys have committed atrocious crimes um, and really very much should be uh, punished. But uh, as I step into these, uh, these cells, um, into relating to these guys, I'll just realise that um, just like you and me, uh, they are dads, uh, they are husbands, uh, they are uncles, brothers, um, and they have hopes and dreams, many of them, uh, like like many of us. Now, I'll just very quickly. Um, so this this is a supermax um, slot in the in the door, and if I can't um, see them in one of those cages to talk with them, then I'll talk to them. I have to kneel down, and it's a little bit tricky, and talk to them through this this slot um, in where their hands come through to be cuffed. So what does a what does a prison chaplain actually do? I'll try to be fairly quick here, and you can maybe ask questions a little bit later. Um, most of my time is going around the prison yards and just chatting with guys that wanna, want someone to talk to. Many of them have been disowned by their families. No one actually wants uh, to relate to them. Many of them um, are just very lonely and uh, there's not much kindness or care in their, in their interactions and so I get to just talk to them at the prison bars. Um, this is a holding cell and this is where I'll go and talk with them. Um, 
We will do chapel services. Um, this is nothing like, this picture is nothing like a real chapel service, but it is a chance to open the Bible, typically around uh, a small group of guys, eight or ten guys, uh, and an answer to prayer is that we have we haven't had approval since COVID started to be able to run chapel services for two years or longer, a little bit longer than two years. And just this week, we're now able to meet with them um, in a group environment. Um, but I will go around the prison yards and have the opportunity to open the scriptures and pray. Many guys just say, hey, can you pray with me? And it's a chance to talk um, about the wonder of our Saviour Jesus and open the Bible with them. But typically, um, when I speak with guys, uh, it's trying to be someone uh, that models Christ. And I'll hear about that in a moment, where one inmate said to me, when I speak to a chaplain, uh, it's the only place that I know kindness. And these are uh, fearful contexts, they're harsh contexts, but a chaplain, uh, as we step into relating to them, uh, we're able to offer some level of kindness and um, care. Now, like I said before, it's really tricky to describe the actual environment um, unless you've been there to describe the smells. In, the, in prison yards, um, there, are, there are prison yards where the, um, the protection yards, where the sex offenders and police informants are placed. And these are often um, little, I don't know what you call them, milk containers, I was going to call them grenades of excrement, are often thrown into the um, the protection yards. So the stench of feces can be something that's very real uh, in Supermax. The stench of just simply um, human body odor being in one place. I, I, you know, again, unless you it hits you when you're you're there. Um, uh, the fact that there are very cold, harsh concrete um, floors, walls, razor wire. Uh, it's it's a very very confronting environment to walk into. Um, there is no, not much colour. <laughs> um, the only colour you typically see uh, is the bottle green of inmates. Um, it's just the grey of concrete and bars. The sounds of yelling and screaming, um, the screaming or the yelling is really guys often communicating over the top of yards and it's, it's again it's quite confronting the amount of yelling that's going on. But it's very claustrophobic because you can't see very far because imagine you can't see past these, these windows, there's no windows here, you can feel very much um, uh, oppressed by that. And there's also the, the agitation of inmates who, when they, uh, when they get out of uh, prison, you can, I'm told, you can pick an inmate um, as they're waiting at a bus station um, or an ex-offender at a bus station or a train station because the level of pacing they do, because nearly every inmate you see is pacing, is moving, um, like a caged animal. And a lot of that, though, is for uh, exercise also uh, in a small prison yard. But more than that, the environment is very oppressive in the sense that uh, there is so much grief and loss and shame and guilt. Uh, there's fear and insecurity. And there's also the, the on-edge feeling that something could break out any moment. Uh, it doesn't take much for a prison, prison brawl. Um, and there's a lot of... Uh, uncertainty. Now that being said, so this environment that I've attempted to describe in the prison yards of maximum security, uh, that being said, it's actually dealing with people that are broken and needy and lost. So when I, um, when I 
try to talk to people typically about what I do, a lot of people are eager for hear, to hear um, dramatic stories. Uh, and there are. I mean, since I've been there, uh, there's been a prison escape, there's been a death in custody, there's been uh, numerous drugs found and, and weapons found, throats slashed, a prison brawl. There's, I mean, it's a place where Goulburn Supermax has been a place where notorious criminals like Ivan Milat and, and the maximum security has the Anita Cobby murderers and Haydad's Robert Hughes and the, the Fink's bikey gang. There's, there is these, these dramatic things, but the day-to-day -day is dealing just with very much broken, real human beings. When I step into the prison, I will ask the Lord to show me uh, that he would, he would help me to see them the way in which um, he sees them. See, Hollywood, I think, will try to make us think that a place like a super maximum security jail is filled with the Hannibal Lecter type of, of psychopaths. Um, but really, they are often lost and lonely young boys hidden behind the eyes of, or the, the exterior of uh, these tough exteriors, boys or men, um, uh, sorry, men who are still boys on the inside who have been traumatized and broken. So when I go behind the walls, I will try to look in their eyes as much as I can and see what is actually behind their eyes. And typically, particularly if they're in the holding cells for remand, there's, there's great fear and um, there's great desperation. And as I do that, I will try to um, understand that the story behind the story. Um, these are the eyes of... Um, uh, inmate called Basim Hamzi. Uh, he's one of the most notorious terrorists, and yet, if you look into his eyes, uh, there are, there's a lot more that's likely going on. Um, these men are broken. Eyes of desperation and very much a longing is, uh, for a second chance, is what I'm confronted with. So as I, as I step in to talk with them, uh, they will give me this look more often than not, of, can you help me? Uh, will you love me? Will you understand? Will you care for me? Uh, will you, will you be simply be kind to me? Uh, will you give me a second chance? One uh, inmate recently said to me, Dan, uh, do you think that God could ever forgive someone like me? Uh, could he ever forgive me for what I've done? And I was able to assure him, yes. <laughs> Yes, but his eyes were that of longing and desperation. So for these guys, nearly everything has been stripped away. Uh, they're aware that they've made monumental mistakes and committed some very significant crimes, and many of them feel like they deserve to be there. But what identifies them very much, as I said before, is these mistakes. Now, can you imagine if what the most distinguishing feature about you was the thing that you're most ashamed of? and you felt like everyone in this room actually knew about it, or the media and, the, and society knew that. And again, instead of being asked what you do, it's what did you, so what do you do, it's what did you do that you're asked. So I think that, that gives you a little bit of a, a snapshot of some of the men and the context that, that I'm in. Uh, I want to take us to what the, the scriptures say a little bit about offering second chances, but I wonder if, over your hot meal, which I think we're about to have, you might introduce yourself to the people around your table 
and if you already know them, pretend that you don't, and try introducing yourself by simply not talking about your credentials or your career or uh, your vocation, but maybe try, to, try not to use those things at all, right? You're banned from using them. Try to introduce yourself by just talking about the mistakes you've made. See how that goes. So I am Dan Evers and I flunked my HSC. Um, I, did, um, I failed my driver's license test. I failed Chinese at uni three times. And like I said, when I asked my wife to marry me, she refused. So those are things that I failed at. I don't know if there's other things. So why don't you do that? And um, I think we're going to go to hot meals. Yep. No? Yeah. Pretty tricky. Anyone, anyone want to tell, tell of um, someone who was w willing to share a disappointment, failure in their life? We don't talk about those things often, do we? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so yeah, sorry, what was your name, by the way? Nathan. Thanks, Nathan. Yeah, that's right. We can, we're, we're happy to tell of a story where yeah, there's a happy ending, right? Um, but if we're in the muck, in the mess, in the middle of that, then um, we're often uh, very much um, in a different place um, and ashamed of that. So these, this is very much the nature of the guys that, that I deal with. They're in the middle of it. And they're convinced, actually, that everybody knows about the, their crimes because you know, they've been in the media. I, I, do, um, I do my best not to look at their record before I go and meet with them, particularly, I didn't explain before, many of them will uh, be put in a referral to see the chaplain as well. So um, the guy's just lost his dad and, and his uncle in the same week and uh, wants me to go and see him on Monday um, or Tuesday next week. And so I'll go and see them. But, um, yeah, they're... They're in that, um, in that state of grief at the time, so I'll go and talk with them. Well, recently I've been able to talk with one guy about um, the wonder of the person of Jesus and go through one of the Gospels, and, and he's been very, very much confronted by the person of Jesus. And uh, the Son of Man, in Luke 19, came to seek and save the lost. On Friday... Um, sorry, on Thursday we ran our first chapel and uh, we were able to meet with eight to ten guys to share uh, the story of uh, the lost coin and the lost sheep and the lost son, uh, particularly the lost son. And not a single guy in that room had heard the story of the lost son. I don't know if you are familiar with these three stories, but typically um, uh, we know of the lost son as the prodigal son, but the lost sheep and the lost coin have people that go and seek them, don't they? There's the, there's the shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 to find uh, the lost one sheep and he seeks it out. And the, and the woman who, who throws um, her house upside down to find her lost coin, she seeks her coin. But the thing that's missing in the third story is someone going and seeking the lost son, isn't it? And we see the older son um, as possibly, or some commentators have said, uh, that he should have been the one to go and seek his lost younger brother out. And the older son, typically, he sees the younger son as undeserving, isn't he? He's undeserving of a second chance. He's undeserving of being sought out. And Jesus, we see in the Gospels, and this is where uh, this guy that I'm reading the Bible with is astounded at the person of Jesus who, who seeks out the lost and the destitute. Uh, he's unashamedly doing this in his um, time, in his interactions. 
in Mark 2, uh, there's this great little um, interaction that Jesus has where he's at Levi's house and many tax collectors and sinners are eating with him and there were many who were following him. Now the teachers of the law, uh, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors and they asked his disciples, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but those who are ill, those who know that they are sinners. Jesus seeks them out, doesn't he? Um, I'm struck by the story in Mark 8 where Jesus, uh, he comes down from a mountainside. There's a man with leprosy there and lepers are the untouchables, aren't they? They're the ones that uh, have to cry out, uh, unclean, unclean, no one will go near them. But what does Jesus do when this man asks, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean? Jesus, surprisingly, he reaches out his hand and he touches this man. Jesus said, I'm willing, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Jesus is remarkable, isn't he, how he goes out to seek the lost, uh, to be amongst the untouchables and the outcasts. I can't help but think, um, if Jesus was doing his ministry in 2022, uh, where would he go? Uh, My wife challenged me uh, on this as I was thinking about prison chaplaincy, and uh, I can't help but think that he probably wouldn't be at St. Matthew's at a men's breakfast. Uh, he mightn't come to St. Matthew's at all. Um, he's likely to be in a place like Goulburn Jail or another place where there are outcasts, there are sinners, there are those who are despised. And society sees them as the lowlifes, the scumbags. But friends, I just want to take you quickly to um, a part of Scripture. In Ephesians 2, there's a little handout um, on your tables there with a Bible passage on the back. And in this, it reminds us actually that the, the lowlifes, the scumbags, um, those who are undeserving, are not just those who are behind prison walls. In fact, uh, the Christian message shows us that um, there are, there's not a single person who is worthy or deserving uh, of a second chance. Um, in fact, spiritually, we're described as being dead dead in our sins. Uh, let's, let me just read that for you. Uh, Ephesians 2 and verse 1. As for you, uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, We were by nature deserving of wrath. I'll just stop there. Here the Apostle Paul is actually saying uh, there is uh, no one who has lived a life that has honoured God. Uh, All of us, verse 3, have been gratifying the cravings of our flesh. Now we mightn't think of ourselves as um, extreme terrorists or mass murderers uh, and many of us Um, and can easily compare ourselves, can't we? Um, Thinking, well, I'm not quite like them. But the Scriptures say that our hearts, hearts that are ones that follow the desires and thoughts of this world, and uh, like everyone else, (laughs) we are deserving of God's punishment and wrath. Now, it's pretty extreme, but this is the status that God sees us in and the state of our heart. In fact, it's a state of spiritual death. Spiritually, 
Uh, we are told there that we are dead in our sins. Our hearts, well, our spiritual hearts are not beating, they flatlined. We are dead. It's often that I've come across people in pastoral ministry, again, who will say, uh, I, well, I'm going to be all right with God because I'm not like uh, those lowlifes or those who have committed great crimes. Here, the playing field has been levelled. News isn't good, is it? And this is a passage that really struck me uh, very much personally uh, when I was uh, amazed, when I thought uh, that I was okay. For verse 4, it says, if you're following again, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive in, with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, and it is by grace that you have been saved. Um, here is, let's see what next slide comes up. Um, it is this great statement of a God who reaches out to us undeservingly by grace. The actual verse 4 um, has the two words, but God, very starkly put back to back. Um, English translation has to, has to um, translate it a different way, saying, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy. Uh, we were dead. We were uh, deserving of wrath, but God. This is, a, this is a second chance like no other, isn't it? Uh, these guys that I deal with are longing for a second chance and they know it. Yet many of us, uh, we need a second chance and we're not all that aware of it. See, for them, everything's been stripped away. Uh, I, I see that uh, they cannot identify themselves as being um, people of status in society. And it's actually a really uh, fairly basic ministry for me to do because here are guys at rock bottom saying... Will you give me a second chance? But friends, actually all of us uh, need this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, how does he save us? Well, he saves us by grace. And if you're not familiar with the terminology of grace, it's one where uh, God actually treats us with great blessing and favour, even though we deserve the opposite. Uh, my wife tells the story of and not too long, maybe I shouldn't dob her in actually, she tells um, the story of driving through a suburb nearby, um, police officer pulls her over, she's guilty as charged for going over the speed limit and this officer offers her grace by letting her off and says, okay, I'll let you off. But it's actually better than that, isn't it? He makes us alive. It doesn't just, he doesn't just pardon us and let us off the hook, he makes us alive with Christ. We were dead. And, you know, we can't actually, you can't resurrect a dead person, well, a, a dead person can't resurrect themselves, can, can they? Here, what God does, because of his love, he's not obligated, in his great mercy, he resurrects us spiritually, making us alive. And the wonder of grace is that it's actually, it's, it is totally undeserving, it's free. It's a gift that's given. I work with other chaplains from other religions and I'm sharing at the table with the guys there that um, in the Supermax section is, is nearly all, all Muslim inmates. And as the uh, Muslim chaplains go in, I, these guys are great 
um, lovely men that I work with. They're, they're really um, just, I have a, have a great working relationship with these men. But the very basis of uh, getting things right with their God, with Allah, uh, is that they have to dig themselves out. The inmates have to dig themselves out of the pit that they are in to find purification. That's the language that's used. Uh, they have to work and work and work. They point out that they are very much at the very bottom, which many of them have committed atrocious crimes, and yet it's all on the basis of their own efforts to get right, to climb. They describe climbing the steps back to Allah. But friends, our second chance isn't dependent on our own efforts at all. <laughs> it's all on the basis of grace. There are no strings attached, uh, there are no um, conditions for Christ has fulfilled all of the requirements for getting this second chance. God doesn't say to us, guys, get your lives sorted out, uh, get your um, uh, good behaviour record sorted, which is very much the, the grounds for lots of prison work, uh, is if you can get um, some certificates and do some courses and, and get people to write you references like chaplains, then as you've worked hard, then you can have a better record or somehow your identity will change, your criminal record will be um, uh, somehow not seen because of all the very good things you've now done. It's unlike that for us. The wonder of grace is that it's offered freely to us right now and it is, we are given a second chance not on any of our own efforts. One of the most wonderful um, statements, let's see if I can, can I wake up? Uh, Norm, if you can go to the next slide for me. There we go, I'm pressing the wrong button. No. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you do it for me, there we go. Is <laughs> an inmate who, who said to me uh, that the, the words that resonate most vividly for him um, from a chaplain and through a chapel service is when he was able to be a part of uh, a communion service in chapel where the chaplain said uh, that all are welcome. Uh, come forward, receive the symbols of the, the bread and the wine and not one of you are excluded. For him, those were words of second chance on the basis of grace. He didn't have to show his good behaviour record. He didn't have to earn anything but all were welcome. And friends, that's the same for you and me. It's remarkable, isn't it? We don't have to balance out our good with our bad or, or trying to dig ourselves out of the pit. In fact, the Gospel says all are welcome, no matter what our record is. You see, our God is the God of second chances. And because of the work of Christ... Let's see, no, we're just going back. I'm pressing the wrong button, aren't I? Here we go. We are offered uh, our sins, we are given the chance for our sins to be washed as white as snow. In Isaiah, it's on your, on your handout there, we're told in Isaiah 118, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. When explaining this to an inmate this week, his, he bursted out um, with the statement, how good is that? How good is that, guys? How good is the fact 
that through the work of Christ, though our sins be like scarlet, though they be like crimson, they can be as white as snow, they shall be like wool, not because of our own efforts, but because of the grace on offer through Jesus. How good is that? Well, I want to leave you just with three challenges uh, very quickly. The first challenge is if you haven't understood or accepted uh, this second chance that God offers in Christ, then my plea before you is that make today the day that you take that on board, that you do accept this second undeserved chance on the basis of grace. Now, one inmate uh, said to me, if I hadn't come to jail, I wouldn't have had this second chance because he'd become a Christian in jail. He'd read his Bible in his cell and he'd understood the wonder of grace. And he said to me, in the busyness of my life, uh, I had no thought of giving God any, any thought of my life. I had no chance. Uh, he was caught up in the drug scene. His life was frantic. Uh, he was caught up in crime, but he also uh, didn't leave any space to even consider God. So he was given a second chance by sitting long, lonely hours in a cell. And his challenge was to me to go and speak to others on the outside, saying, let those in their busy lives, that's us, that's you guys, know that God offers you a second chance. Now, we don't want to have to sit in a cell, do we? to consider this. My prayer is that you might consider it and accept it today. The second challenge for you is that you might be someone, and we might be people who don't easily judge, uh, not quick to judge. Uh, see, but for a different set of circumstances, a, a childhood that I was, I was brought up in, a childhood that was very safe and secure and loving, but many of these guys uh, have been going, gone from foster home to foster home, from juvenile detention centre uh, through to adult jails where they have been uh, traumatised, abused and in atrocious circumstances from very young ages. But for the grace of God, many of us have not had to experience that and living that out. The same statement was from this guy, John Bradford, who was apparently the, the one who coined the phrase, but for the grace of God, there go I, he saw a prisoner being taken away to be executed and he looked at that prisoner and stated to others around him, but for the grace of God, there goes John Bradford. Friends, it's easy to judge. Now, these guys often have committed atrocious crimes that do deserve punishment, but friends, but for the grace of God, we could be there and it is um, important that we don't stand in pride or arrogance thinking we are better, for we are not. We were dead in our sins, but God. And thirdly, I want to challenge you to be people who, if you've understood this grace, this second chance, if you've accepted this second chance, to be someone who welcomes the prisoner, the outsider, and to offer them a second chance. If they stepped into St. Matthew's with their neck tattoos and you saw obviously that uh, they'd had a rough background, they might have been a criminal, would we welcome them, love them, show kindness? Will they find that this is a place where they would know that statement that all are welcome? We're all pretty similar in our uh, social status here in this room. Are we a church that welcomes the outsider? Many inmates when they get on the outside, 
will not step into a church because they do not feel welcome. And secondly, can I challenge you to get involved in not just prison ministry, but ministries in your time, in your spare time. Uh, many of you mightn't feel like you have spare time, but to strategically and actively think about how God can be using you uh, to reach the outsider and care for those in need. I'll give a plug for prison ministry, though, because there is some real needs uh, here at um, Alexander McConaughey Centre. There are some real needs for volunteers in ministries like Kairos, who go in and do uh, courses and Bible studies, and at Goulburn Jail as well. But there are also three other organisations that um, don't require you to necessarily go into the jail, but to befriend and to mentor inmates. Uh, those are Prison Fellowship, uh, Crossroads Bible Study Course, and also Wil the Wilberforce Foundation. These organisations have all approached me and said, we need mature Christians to get alongside inmates, write them letters, uh, to maybe even visit them. Um, these, are, these are not monsters. They're men like you and me who have made horrible mistakes and someone visiting them can have a powerful impact. We're challenged in Matthew 25 that like um, uh, visiting Christ, uh, these inmates will um, be like Christ in front of us where Christ in Matthew 25 says, I was in prison and you came to me, you visited me. It's not a complicated ministry to be able to show kindness and friendship uh, and compassion. But Kairos, Prison Fellowship, Wilberforce Foundation and Crossroads, um, particularly the, the last three, uh, they're desperate for mentors. And all it means is that you might read uh, a letter and write back to them. Or you might um, read through a very simple Bible study or, or um, quiz that they've done through Crossroads and um, give some feedback. Or uh, be someone who meets them at the prison gate. Many guys at, uh, at Goulburn Jail, they arrive, when they get released, they arrive at the front of the gate with a plastic bag and that's it. They have their possessions and they have to fend for themselves. Many of them don't want to go back to their families or friendship groups because they're the ones that led them into crime. Some of them say to me, I don't have a single person in my life who is not involved in drugs and I don't want to go back there. But many of them have no one else to go to. Many of them just at Goldman have to walk the couple of kilometres to the train station and uh, even in that distance waiting and waiting for a couple of hours for the train, uh, if there's no one to meet them, uh, the, no one that's been in their lives, with the small amount of cash that they might have, they will easily head to a pub. There's drug problems in Goulburn. Someone might meet them and offer them ice. And then within minutes or hours of being released, they're back on that cycle again. So there's a powerful ministry that church can ha churches and men like you can have at meeting someone at the prison gate, helping them get their feet back on the ground, whether it's um, a home, a job, uh, or even just a friend. So those are a couple of things. A couple, if you have, would like to talk more um, about some of those practical ministries, I'd love to um, hear from you. There's an email address on the back of that handout. But finally, um, the most important thing that you can be doing, the most important thing, is, is to be prayerful. And... Uh, all of us can do that. Um, 
I step into a spiritual battlefield, war zone, whatever you want to um, call it each day, um, it's not simply that these guys are spiritually oppressed, but like I said before, uh, there is the oppression of guilt and shame and will anyone forgive me or give me a second chance? And the devil wants to convince them that they're never going to be free from this. They're never going to be free from guilt and shame. They're never going to be forgiven. And unless we pray, uh, then uh, the Spirit is not going to be um, working and uh, empowering and enabling me through His Word to reach into these guys' lives. So please do pray for me. Um, and uh, I really would appreciate that.